Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Welcome back to the 27th episode already of the Short Track Dog Podcast. Today, I am very, very excited as we have a road cyclist here with us. Uh, she's been riding for quite a while now. Uh, she's a track cycle thread of riding currently, and uh, she's from Australia, so from literally the other side of the world, but currently based in Jorna. And for those who don't know who I'm talking about yet, uh, we have Brody Chapman here today with us. Good morning, Brody. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm pretty good. Yeah, not much on actually because I'm uh, injured at the moment. But yeah, I'm doing okay. <laughs> First of all, how's that injury going? Uh, we see a lot of anti-training on social media. Yeah, um, it's probably a bit more mentally challenging because I'm not one who normally loves indoor training. Um, but it's been okay. I've got my time trial bike set up um, on the ergo and I've been doing some riding on full gas, which like gets me allows me to see like actual roads outdoors or some ro roads that I will race on in the future. So that's actually quite good. Um, and yeah, just it's, it is nice being at home, but um, I'm really keen to get back outside because it's spring and it's beautiful outside and yeah, <laughs> the injury is okay. It's just slow. Like it's a bone. It needs to heal. You have to wait for it to heal, but it's quite stable. So happy with that. Do you have any dates so far when you could maybe start uh, doing some training outside and we can maybe back to racing or no idea yet? Um, I'm not sure when I'll go back to racing. I'm meeting with my coach tomorrow um, to discuss kind of what the next step is. Like I've not been training to any structure yet, just riding a little bit after like a bit more than a week off the bike. Um, yeah, it's kind of like you just go with pain as your guide like you'd have to do something pretty dramatic to make the break worse um so it's obviously just reducing risk like i don't want to crash again <laughs> i'll have too much vibration through there so i i imagine maybe next week i'll go on the mountain bike just on the road because it's more soft so yeah that's my goal because i don't know how much longer i can ride indoors <laughs> um, before you go crazy absolutely uh, sometimes riding indoors is fun it's nice when it's there's really bad weather outside but uh, when like you said when it's spring and when it's sunny and the warm weather you just want to do coffee rides all day long definitely definitely uh first of all uh you started off the year pretty well uh i like uh, your current situation uh winning the <laughs> national <laughs> winning the national <laughs> champ so how is that for you first national championship uh how did that feel yeah, it's uh sport has the highs and lows really. You can really see it this year. Um it feels very good. It it's a goal a goal race always, but it's not always the easiest to prepare for, um especially being based in Europe. But it's a race that also you know, you might have a really good career and never win that race just due to circumstances and the teams and who's there and so to win it's really special and I it's not taken for granted how unique it is because you also get to be reminded every day that you won a race by wearing the jersey you know you might win another race but it's not every day that you're there like I want a race so <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually really disappointed that I can't race you know all the spring classics in the Ardennes especially with this jersey but I hope that I can make it worthwhile um, later in the year so good way to start the season but um, unfortunately here I am at home but you know that is how this sport goes <laughs> Uh, as like every sport goes, uh, things will pass yes. and it'll get better. I was this going to true. ask you, uh, first season with Segafredo for you, but I'm unfortunately you haven't been able to experience much this year so far. I was going to ask you how is the team and how's the atmosphere? Uh, I've been to you know only a, a handful of races with the team so far, but it's it feels amazing. Like 
just the professionalism of the team, but also the camaraderie. Like you feel like you can trust everybody and comfortable with everybody. Um, all the staff are really personable, but also really professional. So um, it's been such a good experience. Like it, you can definitely feel like you can just focus on your racing and your training. And even with this injury, the, the response from the team has been outstanding. Like I've got the doctors checking in with me all the time. My DS is checking in with me. My teammates are checking in with me. Um, the psychologist is checking in with me. Like everybody, um, you know, gives you the time of day. So I really look forward to going back and working with Trek and obviously being part of some races where we've won already and seeing the girls win other races um, is really satisfying. Uh, that's uh, really great to hear. And you've got some teammates as well that uh, just like you suffered some pretty serious crashes uh, yesterday and in, in, not yesterday, Saturday in Roubaix uh, with uh, Longo Virginia, I think it was, yeah. But oh well, uh, just these things happen and it's great to hear that uh, the structure gives you the support you need. And speaking of the psychologist, it's always a topic I like to talk about, uh, usually further on in the interview, but as you brought it up, uh, let's talk about it. How, do you, how does it influence you uh, having someone you can actually talk to on the team structure and helping you out in these situations better? Oh, I think it's 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 necessary. I mean, the sport, you have so much emotional investment in the sport. Um, and obviously you have really hard times and really big goals. Like everybody wants to achieve something. So having a professional who's trained in sports psychology makes a huge difference. For for example, I've um, employed my own sports psychologist or even just normal psychologist in the past to help me work through just the transition moving overseas and like normal things like your relationships and your life. Um, but the psychologist we have on Trek, Sigafredo, for example, she was at, at Strada Bianchi and I had like really bad luck at that race. And it's a really big goal race for me normally. And so I was really disappointed and having all sorts of thoughts after the finish line. And actually she just gave me a hug and was really there to listen to all my feelings. And of course you have teammates, but they've also all had their own race and their own experiences. So you don't want to be burdening them too much with your own stuff. So it's really nice to have her physically at a lot of the races to just check in with you and ask you how you are and offer some strategies. Um, also, anytime I need, I can contact her quite easily. And, you know, a lot of the girls do use her to talk about, like, you know, their confidence going into races or, um, yeah, even some personal things or how to deal with the, you know, injury, for example, and, going through that whole process of like starting again and, you know, setting goals. So I think it's super important to have a sports psychologist working alongside the team. And I would say it's it contributes a lot to our success. I completely agree with you. I think it's a key asset right now in a team, any sport, uh, not just cycling, but having mm -hmm. someone to be able and help you handle those emotions after and during race, it's, it makes a great, great difference at the end of the day of, between the people who handle it and who don't. But yeah, yeah. Okay, now uh, going back to the lines I follow on that on this podcast, I wanted to ask you. I take a little bit of a step back. Uh, you've been racing for a few years now. I've uh, been professional for a few years as well. But I first wanted to ask you, how does Brody start on a bike? How does she fell fell in love with it? Yeah, how did I fall in love with it? I suppose it goes really far back to being a child and my parents encouraging me to use my bike as a form of transport, so to get to sport, get to school. Um, my mum would take us on some rides, but, um, and for me, initially it was not competitive. I started to work in a bike shop when I was doing my final year of high school. And I really just kind of fell in love with the community there and all these people whose lives revolved around 
cycling um, and that was mountain biking at the time. And that's kind of how it started. Like I just found my thing that I loved to do. I mean, it was really social. Um, there was always a thrill involved, especially with like, you know, I was doing like downhill and four cross and those kind of sports. And then even when I found road cycling, um, it was just such a way to to get around the city, to be social, be fit. And so I think I really fell in love more with the community. Um, but then once I, again, I worked at another bike shop a bit later that got quite into um, racing, road cycling. And of course, I wanted to try it. And yeah, I was pretty hooked on it just the feeling of going as fast as you can powered by your your own body and that's still what I enjoy I love that you can just really kind of I don't know if it's control but you just have the ability to adapt your speed or choose your direction and even if you're using it as a form of transport which I did a lot like always commuting to and from work it just felt like a really really good part of my day to be able to choose how fast I went which way I went you know not much effort <laughs> So yeah, I that's how I got into it. it. Was kind of through a bike shop community in Australia. Yeah, well, that's a really good story. And like you said, it's just something that lets you be free, uh, lets you go mm. all that scene when there's something's not going right. You go 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 on train. Uh, you kill yourself doing some intervals or whatever, and then uh, you can't even remember what the problem was at the beginning. Which is exactly. Great. And I think it's cool that everybody can relate to that feeling. So whether you're a professional or whether you're just riding to work or riding for fun there is this kind of familiar feeling amongst everybody of riding a bike. And it's such a cliche to be like, it's freedom, but it really is because you notice when you are injured, like for now, or when I was injured and I couldn't ride to work, for example, I felt really constricted by like following the timetable of the tram or the train or like being stuck in traffic and knowing that I couldn't just quickly take a different way to go. Um, or even just seeing a new country or a new area. Like if I'm ever traveling somewhere, and you have a bicycle, you can see a lot more than you would be able to on foot or with a car. So I think it's also, um, no matter what you're riding a bike for, everybody shares that that feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. I would say it's it's a community where no, more, no matter where you go or who you ride with, it's always going to be the same kind of feeling of just going out and enjoying yourself and, and having fun at the end of the day, which is the important part. And mm. you mentioned uh, work in bike shops, and then you started in road cycling. When did you decide to become professional? How was that decision for you? Yeah, I don't know if it's um, I don't know if anyone really gets the privilege of it being like a decision. I mean, it's for me, it was more just an opportunity that was like there was only one answer, and the answer was going to be yes. Um, I, I think I'm more just it's it's quite hard to make the decision to be at the very top of any sport. You kind of have to start with like little goals to just improve and you have to compete at where you're at. So, I mean, if I had started road cycling and said, right, my goal is to be a professional, then that's like a really, really big step. So my first goal was actually to do a road race and I did a road race and I was happy. And then the next thing I wanted to do was race against people who were better than me. So then I went to race with other girls who were faster. And then from there, I my next goal was to make like A grade. So in Australia, we have different grades for the racing. So from A grade to B grade, C grade, D grade even. Um, so I wanted to make it to A grade so I could race against the best girls in my city, only in my city. Um, and to me, that felt like a huge step. And once I started racing A grade and succeeding there, then I was like, okay, I want to go race against even better people. So I moved to Melbourne 
And I just kept seeking this, like, I wonder how much better I can do. I want more. Like, I want to improve. I want a harder competition. And obviously the top of that is the UCI Women's World Tour. Um, and then I had this goal to, like, maybe race in America where there was, like, actual teams and criteriums and um, that kind of stuff. But it, I did kind of skip a lot of that by I won a UCI race in Australia while racing for the national team. And I just, it kind of happened to be that I was in a in really, really good shape at that time um, in January. And I was really, really motivated to show my abilities because I'd had a fair few um, accidents and injuries that year in 2017. And so by the time 2018 rolled around, I really had the opportunity to show on like a, the highest level of competition you could have in Australia was UCI racing. And after I won that race, um, one of my friends who was a professional said, do you want to be a professional cyclist? I was like, yes, like, of course. But I did have this thought of like, well, if I don't like it, if I don't know what it's like to be a professional cyclist, I hadn't even ridden on teams that much to really understand what that dynamic was like. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. Like, of course I'm going to say yes. But if I really don't like it, then I'll just stop doing it. Like I'm not, nobody is forcing me to do this. It's nobody else's goal or dream except for mine. So once I got that ride with Tibco um, and I went overseas and I raced for the first time outside of Australia with more than 50 people, um, I really knew that this was for me. Like every aspect of this as a job, I mean, we didn't, I didn't really get paid much the first year. But the fact that I could go to all these different races, constantly test myself, like also cycling is such a, like such a game. You have to really understand the tactics and being living in a different country, like that whole thing just appeals to me in every way possible. So, and I still feel like that. I still think it's the absolute best job that I could ever hope for. <laughs> and I know it won't last forever, so I'm trying to enjoy it. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you gotta make make the most out of it. And at the at the end of the day, like you say, sometimes it's just being a uh, right time, right place, and some opportunity comes whenever when you expect it the less. So it's it's quite cool. And like you mentioned, uh, in Australia, you guys have grade A, B, C, and D. Uh, like you said, in America, I think it's category five to one, one. So obviously, yeah. So they start off in five. But yeah, it's it's quite different to to what we're used to in Europe, where most people just start with amateur races. And then if they they start winning in amateur races, they they get calls from pro tours and then pro tours to mm. to UCI teams. I would say the amateur races here, like there's a lot more road racing opportunities for amateurs in in Spain, for example, or in Catalonia where I am. There is so much racing on with different teams, and it's not even like the Copa de España. It's like it's like just even below that, and there's so yeah. many teams and so many people. So you can see that the competition is huge. In Australia, we have a lot more kind of local criteriums, like just, you know, after work, you could do it for one hour a night. Um, but the opportunity to do a lot of a lot of racing is not so much there. Like, obviously, it's a really big country and the travel between different states is quite expensive. And there is like a national road series, but I would say there's nowhere near the amount of um, races that you can do here, for example, like if you wanted to just get a feel for road racing against really hard competition, um, I think like coming to Spain, for example, is a good idea. Like I can't believe how much opportunity there is to race here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's also the good thing about 
yeah, being in Europe, there's no shortage of races. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And like you said, Spain, France, uh, Belgium, Italy as well. Uh, you have mm. opportunities constantly every weekend. You can race somewhere either mm. with a, you can sometimes even uh, step on the list by yourself, which is not the best, but uh, you can always, yeah. you can always give it a try. But racing against teams by yourself is, is quite difficult, but oh well. Yeah, it's, it's hard as an amateur. Like I understand that, you know, although it sounds like my story was like quite easy, like, oh, I won a race and I became a pro. It's like in order to be a professional, you can't just be a good bike rider. Like you need to kind of have the resilience and have the, the tenacity to go to these amateur races by yourself or don't have any spare equipment or pay lots of all lots of money to go to the race and buy the gels yourself and, you know, get people to give you biddens. And you have to organize all that. And it is stressful. Like it's a lot of work. So those people who have done all of that and then become professional, um, you know, they had to work through all that hard stuff. Like, and once you're a professional, you really appreciate the fact that you have all these people employed to help you do your best. But at one point you had to do it yourself. And I think, yeah, I really admire people who go to all these amateur races and sometimes you have really bad luck. You know, sometimes you happen to be in the right breakaway and, yeah, um, to keep going through all of that to make it as a professional is what makes someone professional. And you have all these setbacks as well. Like everybody's comes from a different background, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, like you said, uh, you go to amateur races. Sometimes you plan everything, and just a flat tire gets you out, and you're like, "I've traveled mm. all this time. I put invested all this money, and then everything's just gone from a flat tire." So you gotta hundred percent, yeah. Like I said, cycling, like you said, uh, teaches resilience. I would say, and in order to be a mm. professional, you need to know what that is. You also need to know what hard work is really uh, to work for others as well, because uh, there's very few that get the chance to just go to the race and do whatever you want, and that's not how it totally. goes. Totally, it's a strange gonna... sport because in you know initially you have to be the one trying to win to get noticed to go to a bigger team, right? But then you get to a bigger team and then they're like, okay, you're working for this person who's better than you. So I actually think it's quite, again, I would have to say good um, in these amateur races to race with a team. And although kind of everyone should get a chance, it still teaches you to like work with different people. And you might look at a race and be like, okay, it's a flat race. This guy's our best sprinter. This girl's our best sprinter. Okay, it's a climbing race. Who's going best at climbing? And that teaches you that if you do become professional, um, then there's a chance that your whole job, your whole career, you could be working for somebody else. And you have to find some satisfaction in that. Like everybody wants to win a race. Everybody wants to win a race. But realistically, in cycling, you have to race for the person who's most likely to win. Because at the end of the day, the sponsors don't really care who wins. They just want to see their jersey on the podium. Their jerseys on the podium... They're going to give more money to the team. More money to the team means everybody benefits, right? Yeah, cool. So, you know, you do have to think, okay, how can I contribute to the team, the be- the team's best possible result today? Sometimes the best possible result could be me. Sometimes it could be someone else. And how can I give them the best opportunity? Because that's how I feel. Because obviously you you lose more races than you win, both as a team as an, and an individual. So you have to find value in that in that teamwork. And you can see at the professional level that it really, really does take a good team to get the result. It's not just, you know, sometimes amateur racing, it's just the strongest person who rides away. But it's, it's I mean, yeah, sometimes in men's cycling, you see that it really is the strongest yeah. person riding away, also within the women. But 
I mean, more now. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah. like you said, uh, you're more than likely wants to step bunch of professional to get your ass kicked every single race. Like you're racing against totally. the, against, yeah. the, against the best people in the world. It is what it is. Uh, you're racing against the best of the best, the ones that have gone through. Uh, like we said, amateur races have won literally everything, and then have just jumped on the world tour and kept kept winning. Mm. And you, like I remember my first races in Europe, like I think I finished the first one, but so far down I'd crashed and I finished like, I don't know, 80th or something. And then on my first classics, like I it was DNF, 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 like I just crashed or like was so far behind that I couldn't get to the front of the race. And then I remember I finished a race finally in the Grappetto. And I was so excited to go on like the internet and look up my result, like my name with a number next to it. And it was OTL outside of a time limit. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm happy to get an OTL and, you know, cross the finish line, then a DNF. So again, you have to really celebrate <laughs> these little goals. Like, okay, now I got in a hundred. Now I have a place, a number next to my name. I was inside time limit and then you can build up. So if you were disappointed straight away and gave up, then, you, you know, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get any further, but it's true that, yeah, <laughs> you do get your ass kicked when you first get here. <laughs> Just a little though. Let's not uh, take the encouragement out of the people. I, I'm sure we'll have listeners who will do better than us. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, you had many, many experiences, like you said, writing. Uh, you've written all, all, all over the world, which is a privilege, frankly. Uh would you say there's a race where you just love uh, maybe a favorite one, maybe not a favorite, but one of the most liked by, by yourself as a rider? Uh, would you just go, you love the atmosphere, you love the track, you love the place, and it just ha- means something special for you? Uh, I would definitely say the Tour of Flanders. I mean, it's a pretty obvious one. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I had a pretty good result for myself there last year and the the crowd's in the Flanders region are incredible. Um, and so I, I was really disappointed to miss that race this year. Um, second to that, Strada Bianchi should be one of my favourite races, but I've just been having bad luck with it <laughs> every time. But the parkours, the region, the, the kind of racing, I, I would say I like the best. And then also racing in the Basque Country because the crowds in the Basque Country are so good. And um, we had the Classica San Sebastian for only one year as a women's world tour race. And uh, hands down, it would have been my favorite race had we had it not been then canceled the next year. So luckily the women's peloton now has the Itzulia Basque Country race, um, which we did last year. And I, I just love the, I love the parkours and the people there. So I really wish that the Classica San Sebastian would come back for the women because a, a one-day race is raced so differently to a stage race. So often people ask me this question. I said, well, actually, one of my favorite races doesn't exist anymore and I only did it once, but I just love it. I just, you know, finishing in San Sebastian and going up these crazy climbs. Like, So if, if the organizers ever listen to this podcast, bring it back <laughs> before I retire. <laughs> I know we got we got now the the key centers of the podcast is bring bring back the classic of San Sebastian to the women's world tour. Absolutely, we got <laughs> no. But like you said, it's just uh, sometimes a place just clicks with you, or you just love the racing, or whatever. Maybe that day everything just settles in for you, and you have a great day on the bike, and you say, "Oh my god, this was a great day." 
And then, unfortunately for yourself, uh, you don't get to repeat it again, but uh, hopefully maybe sometime in the future. And like you said, uh, Tour of Flanders last year was pretty special. Not not many people can say they got a top 10 in the Tour of Flanders. I was in the Ronde, which is a f- classic for the Belgian people, especially you go to Bel- Belgium and you start talking about cycling. All they're going to talk about is the Tour of Flanders. Totally, it's like, yeah. It's like a myth yeah. and the atmosphere <laughs> when they just... They just go there, uh, they spend the whole day on the crowd, they spend the whole day drinking and eating, and it's just their best <laughs> lives. Yeah, you can smell the beer and the fritz so when you're riding up the Quartemont. Like, so Flanders has been this race that I've done every year of my career, and I kind of, it's my like measuring point of my improvement because it takes more than just strength to do Flanders. It takes luck, it takes tactical news, it takes, you know, um, figuring out how to use your energy and where. And just fighting, like you've got to be on a good day and you've got to be really willing to fight in Flanders. And so each year I've got gotten a bit further through the race. And I've I've also worked for my teammates the last couple of years as well and given them the best opportunity. But last year, yeah, getting closer to the final made me believe that this year, if I'd gone in with good shape, I could fight for the final if everything went well. So then I have to wait till next year to um to see that. But it's kind of my measuring it's my re- measuring race of my improvement. <laughs> of course. It's always something something fun to have in the calendar. And like you said, it's a pretty tough race. Uh, very tactical mm. and technical as well. Because if you if you got a good race but can't ride the bike properly, you're just going to get crashes or you're going to take fl- uh, flat tires, just like in Roubaix pretty much on Saturday. Uh, it's just going to happen the same thing. You don't know how to ride a bike. You're screwed. You're literally totally. not, uh, 20 kilometers oh. and that's you out. But yeah, it's it's the fun of cycling, I believe. Like the spring classics are some of my favorite time, especially now, both in women's and men's, though the women's on the Saturday for purpose was quite different from what, what everybody was ex- expecting. But sometimes that's the fun of racing. It's just Yeah. Uh, you just the women's go, on. No, no, go ahead. No, Sorry. no, go ahead. I was just gonna say the women's race on Saturday was that's one true. of my favorite races to watch ever. It like was- it was oh. really different from what everybody was expecting. Like they all expected as the works to just put in the work and uh, catch the breakaway and uh, what Demi or, or Marlon, one of them two, would just attack and win. And then it just was completely different from what everybody expected. They crashed and whole new race open. The girls that were in the breakaway, good legs, very good tactics. Yeah. And the tactic from Alison Jackson, like for me, I know her quite well because we were teammates. And I know she's wanted, she's like, this race is in her heart since a long time. And so she went into that race, like knowing her strength is like, her strength really is that kind of just never, ever giving up, fight, fight, fight. Um, And she really thrives off kind of really attritional races. And she's had this in her mind's eye as a goal for a long time. And so even her plan to go in the early break and not wait for the favourites was part of the reason she won. And then you saw near the end she was encouraging the breakaway. She was attacking the breakaway. And it got down to almost nine seconds um, within like a kilometre and a half to go. And she still just like pushed that gap out and still fought for the win. So I think knowing how hard she's worked for that win is – really shows just like really raw racing like no secrets <laughs> just no just keep going all the way to the line and um so it was very exciting to watch though because you didn't really know what was going to happen until the last few kilometers and yeah you need to have luck <laughs> yeah absolutely and then uh such a result comes and it's literally the reward of your life 
life life yeah. work and you just yeah. show up when we I see yourself in the velodrome and it's just crazy yeah but yeah and then in terms of uh big 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 tours such as the uh, women's Vuelta, Giro and Tour how has that been for you so far you've done uh I'm not sure if you've done the tour I know you've done Giro and, and the Vuelta but how are those uh, long ones for you I love stage racing. I, I, I honestly like pretty much all racing because I think you find something fun out of every race. Um, but I love stage racing because if you have a bad day or it doesn't go your way, you know what, you have another race the very next day. There's no time to to try and dwell on it or wait a whole other year until you can do it again. Like the Giro, you have every day an opportunity. And um, it's just really fun traveling around Italy and different places and delicious food. I really would love to go to the Tour de France. Um, it's a huge goal of mine. Uh, I'm obviously on a team stacked full of talent, so it's not easy to make the selection for the final team. It was the same on FDG. I mean, we had a really strong, talented team with very clear leaders, and um, so it was hard to make that team. But this year, one of my main goals really was the Belta España. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not yet. It depends on my injury and even if I do go I unfortunately don't feel like I'll be in tip-top shape because yeah. I've not been training very much and that's just the reality so I would like to go because I really like the parkours this year starting in the like southeast of Spain and going across in Madrid and then actually finishing in Asturias which is a place I've always really wanted to go in Laos. so I was planning to go to yeah finishing the uh, Vuelta and then staying a little bit and doing some tourist riding in oh. that's in the west of Spain. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's have you ever ridden up Lagos before or would it would it be your first time? Oh, you're in for no, a it would be my first time. I know <laughs> I'm really kind of one of those things where like I kind of want to go even if I'm going to suffer a lot because of my shape but I want to go just to experience all these nice roads and of course like I, I think the Spanish fans also love cycling oh yeah and so it's really a good experience too um yeah. then the Giro and the Tour yeah I am down for the Giro that's one of my races I know I'm meant to be on the roster for and but I think at this point I just now everything's changed like when you have an injury like this you really have to just shift all your goals and take it day by day and be like okay like I just first of all I need to focus on recovering and then set some goals that are a bit further away to like aim towards so I would like to be in really good shape to either be selected for the Tour de France or you know I can be a reserve and if I do get called as a reserve then I'm going to be fit and ready to go and that's even if you don't go in the end, the process of preparing and training is always really rewarding as well. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gives you the best possible shape ever. So uh, that's that's kind of a good enough reward for future races and uh, world traps in Scotland this year and everything. What do you think yeah. about the new format and the new discipline they, they kind of created of doing everything together in one country in a week? For the world championships? Yeah, the world champs. Yeah, Um. It'll be interesting. I think it's kind of cool. I hope that'll create like a really big, like good vibe um, with all the athletes. And um, it's it's different that it's in August. So you might see people are actually a bit fitter than they would be in like late September when it's near oh, the totally. end of the season. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be really exciting. I, I, I don't know if it'll work every single year. And like obviously not every country 
might have the ability to host all the nations. So I believe at this point it's, sorry, all the sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's meant to be like every every four years, I think. It's not going to be every year like this. They're trying. What I, understand. I think this is a kind of a trial event. Uh, okay. What they're doing. And then if it works, they will look for future venues to do to do it like this because at the end of the day, uh, logistically, it's kind of way easier to have everything on one place for the UCI and uh, the organizer than have everything kind of spread out, if you want to call it like that. And they did yeah, it in that's August true. because Scotland was the one to uh, take the trial into, mm. into place. But also if you go to Scotland... Uh, there's only one time when you can really do that kind of stuff, which is August, because otherwise it's freezing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I look forward to it. I, I would like to think that I could go and watch some other events as well. Like, I'd love to watch, obviously, the short track cross country and the, the cross country Olympic. Like, um, I think that would be super entertaining because at least there's laps <laughs> and the BMX. Um, but it's also the thing is it's kind of in the middle of the season. So, for example, in August last year, I went to the Commonwealth Games um, in the UK. But I, like, went after one race, did the Commonwealth Games, and then left and went straight to another race. So for a professional road cyclist, it's kind of just like another race in the season, then you go to the next one, and it's not like this grand finale at the end of the year. So it'll be quite different for me personally. Um, last year, the world championships was my last race of the year. And then I had a really long time again before I raced. So yeah, it'll be really different, but I think it'll be fun. I think. So I think uh, what, you, yeah. what you're trying to say is that the after party will be quite different from what it was last year, right? <laughs> yes. Oh man. The after party after the Wollongong world championships was so fun. Like oh. I absolutely sent, sent Especially it. for you at home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. No, I knew yeah. I would probably get sick, and I did, but that's what happens. <laughs> well, sometimes yeah. it happens. I uh, just uh, go with the flow, like you said at the beginning. But yeah, gotta enjoy life. Gotta live your life. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I asked you about one of your favorite races, but I would also like to know to, to know uh, one of the toughest moments you've had so far. If you want to share that with us, uh, if it's okay if you don't. But like sometimes mm. it's interesting to talk about. Uh, when a rider just goes through some t- those tough times, which are not always seen like on social media or races, but uh, just sometimes it happens when you're just in your top four, maybe you get an injury and you fully crash uh, both emotionally and physically, of course. Yeah. So in my professional career, say 2020, when it was COVID, I actually found that year really challenging and maybe more challenging than I gave myself credit for at the time because it was my first year on a new team with FDG. And the previous year I had been like overtraining, over racing, traveling so much. And I got quite sick. I got just all these health issues. And so coming into 2020 after just really having to stop for a bit and, you know, build back up new team. Um, my boyfriend was going to move permanently to Spain with me. So it's not easy to move countries <laughs> um, and have this relationship over such a large distance. And, you know, he was changing his, his work. So probably just the background life issues were already a bit ch- challenging. And then, of course, we had the lockdown announced and he was meant to come and live in Spain like that week. Oh. And so then there was just so much uncertainty and confusion. And everybody has their own story from 2020 when it was like something, everybody experienced something. But I think... Then I went back to Australia and like kind of 
lived with my parents, which I haven't done in a really, you know, a really long time and training, but not really sure why and when we're going to come back to Spain. And I, you know, just rented an apartment here, put all my food in the fridge, like finally felt settled. (laughs) So then I came back to racing and I just wasn't, I was really not in great shape. Um, I didn't know when my boyfriend could come over because of all the restrictions and yeah, I was really struggling to find my place just with new coach, new team and uncertain calendar and all that kind of stuff. So I was just really quite unhappy and struggling. And then I had injuries and health issues. So that year in general, um, there was a lot of races where I was just like crying after the race or just like, just, just struggling with what, why, why am I doing this? What for? Like what, when's it going to get better? And of course we just didn't know in 2020 what would happen. Um, so that was definitely, I think, if you ask me that question, I reflect that was one of the hardest times emotionally. And and I would say, like, now with the injury I have in a different context would have been really hard because obviously I've just crashed out of a huge block of really important races, um, not only for, like, Olympic selection next year and also the World Championship selection, but my home context is really, really good. Like, we're very settled in Girona like my boyfriend's home with me I have a great coach who's also in Girona so although the actual fact of having an injury and missing all your favorite races my home context is really good and so I don't know it's a very long-winded answer but it it's interesting because if in previous years maybe in a different context I would be a lot more upset with my current situation than I am um but yeah there are definitely a lot of hard times and I certainly wouldn't, yeah, I just don't really post about them much because I'm like, can't be bothered. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's true that, you know, writers like we have really hard times and we're crying or we, we have, you know, stuff going on at home or injuries or illness and you just can't seem to get ahead or you have really bad luck and, you know, all these things all contribute to your performance a lot of the time. Oh yeah. And yeah, so I guess you just don't share it so openly with everybody because you're trying to be this like really resilient athlete. <laughs> but yeah, we are just all people with our own shit going on. So that's yeah, back to our very first conversation about psychologists yeah. having people around to help. Yeah, exactly. but I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I haven't had anything super catastrophic sure, yeah. happen to me. Oh yeah, yeah. and let's hope it stays <laughs> that way for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like you said, at the end of the day, it's just uh, looking for the balance between uh, work and enjoyment, uh, pretty much. Mm. Just uh, work, sometimes it's not going to go well, especially for you guys. You don't have like an average work, but you just go and sit sit at an office for eight hours and there's this you're done. That's absolutely not the case. Yeah. Uh, you get on the bike and sometimes you go out and you never really know what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to have a great day and you're going to maybe win a race. You're going to have the best mm. day of your life and maybe win a, win a big race or you're just going to crash or you're just going to get a flat pack puncture. So like you said, you got a good background uh, waiting for you after a race. It's something which is really important. Just as well mm. as uh, having a good team atmosphere, like you mentioned at the beginning, or sometimes just the race doesn't go as you expect. But if you have a good team to fall back on, especially on 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 big races like uh, the tour or the year where you were you just so with the team for quite a few days it's just something which is really important totally like you're so right like getting those kind of basic foundational things right 
is going to set the set the standard for the rest of your achievements. Like I think we are all a bit obsessed with like um, hacking our performance and one percenters and the right supplements and this and that and the perfect intervals. But actually um, most professionals that you talk to, like if they have a, you know, a, a happy home life, like they're happy as a human first, because you're a human first and an athlete second. So if you're, you can ho- hopefully be happy at home or, you know, have somewhere that you like to sleep and eating well and just, you know, content in that sense, then you can focus on the nuances of being an elite athlete. But you can't really work from the top down doing like all these little extra hacky things and stressing about them if the foundations aren't there. And for sure, like, I know I've experienced trying to, trying to, you know, wanting to do more hours in the bike or trying to be leaner or trying to do this or altitude or like fucking measuring my heart rate at every second of the day. And it's like, these all kind of seem like things that don't really matter if your foundations aren't stable enough. And it's a quite a chaotic lifestyle, especially if you're from a different country really far away. You have to then try and set up that whole sense of like home and stability and familiarity in a completely different country. And then you have to travel a lot between all the different races. And so I have found that it's really important to try and have those like familiar routines and familiar people and places um, so then I can, once I go to the race, I can totally focus on racing and not have to think about what's going on back home. And definitely in 2020, like we were sort of talking about before, um, those things were all uncertain and that's why my racing really suffered. Even if I was doing the same training and eating the same foods, you know, like doing the same amount of gym, it, it, it was different outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, it's just sometimes you don't you don't have the good uh, puzzle pieces, right? No matter how how hard you try to fit them in, they're just not gonna fit. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes oh. you're like, okay, I have to do less, not more, and that's really hard because athletes always want to do more. They want to do more training. They want to do more hours. They want to do more intensity. They want to do like everything more. That's how what makes us elite athletes. But sometimes at this level, you have to really do a bit less strip it back take something away to to make it better and that's why we also have coaches to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to reel us in like that <laughs> and like you said also the importance of having a home away from home to kind of call it that way uh, for you guys that yeah. move from uh, such different places especially well where you're based currently right where you're currently based right now in Girona, there's a lot of uh, Canadians, Americans, Australians uh, from New Zealand yeah. as well so uh, uh, there's a pretty big community there uh, from people who have who have had to move to be able to race in Europe and uh, kind of make life easier because otherwise if you're traveling back and forth, you just go absolutely crazy. Uh, to Canada, totally. 12 hours, but yeah. to, to to Australia, it's like a day and a half travel. So that kind of really doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah, but, and yeah. everyone's situation is a bit different. Like I have a teammate, Loretta, um, like her partner still lives in Australia and she's just injured herself as well. And so she's actually gone back to Australia for her recovery period because she's broken a bunch of bones, which... For me, I can't think of anything worse than flying back to Australia. However, her home, her partner, her people, her happy place is there. So, I mean, I really admire the fact that she, you know, she does travel back, but that's what's going to make her a better racer. And what's going to make me a better racer is to stay in Spain. But, like, personally, I knew from the very beginning when I very first had this career that I'm going to need to set up a home in Europe. And I, I, I couldn't do the sense of, of having to like think of Australia as like my home still and like always missing it. Like I, of course I miss my family and friends, 
Um, but I definitely feel very, very at home here in Girona, in Spain, in Catalonia. <laughs> um, and that's just like personally what works well for me. Whereas for some other people, they kind of have this as their like work home and then they have their home in their mother country, you know. Yeah. Um, but we're very lucky that there is a, a, a good community here and, I think sometimes people criticize it because they're just like, oh, everybody just moves to Girona because everyone's there. And like, it is kind of true. It does seem like a little bit of a cop out. There's obviously so many amazing communities and places and bike riding in, in Spain. Um, I really didn't know much about this place at all when I moved here. I knew one person and it was a very last minute kind of thing for me to be professional. But it does mean that you have people you can easily communicate with you can easily um connect with purely because they're cyclists as well yeah. and they're in and out and if you want to lift to the airport and who's coming here and who's going training and what you're doing and can you recommend a good physio so That's it is right. more the fact that it's a, a cycling community that you have similar people around you all the time um which i think if i was living in australia like all my friends that i hang out with are also cyclists <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're super grateful. The community here is really eclectic. You have a lot of, like, students. Um, you have a lot of tourists. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of local cyclists as well. And everybody who seems to live in Catalonia is just, like, really into the outdoors and, oh, yeah. like, riding and gravel riding and climbing and running. And, like, there's always just so many sporting events happening in Catalonia that it's also just a, another reason to have such a to live here like there's always something and, to do and you also have a great weather which is kind of helps uh, like I, my dad used to say if you live in barcelona you live twice a year because like i live uh, a little bit further away <laughs> and in winter it gets really cold so uh riding yeah winter, it's, it's quite the experience but then if you live in barcelona we were there in january for the presentation of the Vuelta this year it was 15 degrees at night uh top of january <laughs> like, you get used crazy. to this i could it's really nice yeah, it, I mean, I guess that's also the reason people moved here in the first place is because oh, yeah. it has, I think, one of the lowest average rainfalls in the whole of Spain and mm -hmm. airport and uh, Barcelona so everything, airport, everything, you everything. You can catch the train quite easily even to Paris or Madrid if you want. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but I, I, in saying that, I really, I really want to explore the rest of Spain more. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to offer. There really is a lot to offer. Uh, I'm sure you yeah. get to see it sometimes, uh, sometime, and especially on the bike. There's there's a lot, a lot to see, uh, lots of mm. difficult long climbs. Like you'll get to see in Lagos if you go to the Volta. Uh, that that will be your best and worst worst experience probably at the same time. <laughs> I like to look on, um, like you know, when I'm watching the men's Volta España or like Volta uh, Catalonia or something. To see, like, oh, where are they riding? Can I do a lap there? Should I visit that climb? Like, watching on TV, like, it gives me an idea of where I want to go sometimes. Yeah, like, of course, great. I also want to go to Sierra Nevada because people are training there all the time. But I think I'm going to wait till it's really summer. <laughs> Altitude training, absolutely. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenneth, this has gone for quite a bit. It's been a very natural chat. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. Uh, Kenneth, to finish, kind of wrap up everything a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about your career so far, uh, starting from amateur races onto uh, bigger races, A category, uh, then World Tour, moving to Girona, uh, just a whole life process, really. And I wanted to ask you, because uh, from different cycling disciplines, uh, biggest race you can really do is Olympic Games. And if I'm not mistaken, you have been 
being able to have that experience yet. And like you said, Paris is right around the corner. It's also close to home away from home. So what would it what would it mean for you to be in the Olympic Games? Oh, it would be a very, very big bonus to my career already. Um, I was obviously devastated to miss the Olympics in 2021. Um, but yeah, I think it would really round out my career if I could say I could be an Olympian. And I do think I can really contribute to the team well and any parkours. So yeah, and I'm 32, so I don't know how many more Olympics are going to be around, you know, around for me. <laughs> um yeah, that would be a huge goal. And so the the work starts now. You know, you've just oh, yeah. got to fo focus on being a good bike racer and being the best racer you can, being a good teammate, taking opportunities, and hopefully that's enough to um, make the team selection. But it's difficult. Um, yeah. Fingers yeah, crossed. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. I should have warned you before this interview that I think I do ramble a lot. No. I have a lot of thoughts that go into words. And Not they always that. go longer, so you can edit out the fluff if you want. <laughs> no, it's really it's really interesting to see sometimes uh, those kind of perspectives because uh, athletes are not usually as transparent as you've been on the talk. So it's really, really fun. And also, like, for cyclists and fans, it's really interesting to see that kind of perspective because you don't really get to see it anywhere else. Like, yeah, you I see think it's important. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you're more than an athlete. You're also a person. And this, this just doesn't usually show because you only see them on TV or on social media. And that's why I can, one of the reasons why I created this podcast was that I was like, I'm a cycling fan, cyclist myself. But uh, you realize when you go on to professional races, you only see the guy on TV and that's it. And maybe mm. if you get really lucky, you get to see him someday in person. Uh, you get something signed and that that's it for you. But you don't really know anything about the guy besides that he rides a bike really well, right? I appreciate it. And I appreciate these interviews with like good questions and good research because um, I like to listen to podcasts with other athletes as well. You know, I find it inspiring myself. So, um, yeah, I do think it's important to share those human parts. And I do appreciate your in-depth questions because they make me think they make me reflect <laughs> no it's been great and at the end of the day we all have a story to tell uh it's, it's true it's always a different story and we all have a story to tell and all stories are just as valid to be heard as others so it's just it's, it's really is an enjoyment to do every interview but yeah no problem and last question of the podcast i always do the same one uh if you could give me a song to put at the end of the podcast can be anything and uh, no. oh. <laughs> What song do I listen to? I have been listening a lot to uh, a song called Delito by Nathi Peluso. Do you know her? Yeah, no. I do know. Okay. Yeah. So. I, I'm a, like, I always say that song. <laughs> okay. So leave everybody with uh, Delito from Nathi Peluso. That's literally nothing I was expecting like that. I was like, it's <laughs> just the person that came to my mind. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave everybody okay, with enjoy with that one on uh thank you brody it's really been a pleasure hope your recovery is going well and uh, we'll we'll see you sometime soon in the world this year sounds good nice to meet you <laughs>